1: The History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan.
0: And Cassidy Zachary. Dress listeners, you have heard us sing the praises of today's guest, Jordan Roth, on numerous occasions over the years. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, and that is because the acclaimed Broadway producer is one of our favorite fashion provocateurs, collectors, muses, on and off the red carpet.
1: Jordan is the president and co-owner of Jujamson Theaters, a group of five Broadway theaters. As a producer, he has six Tony Awards and a bevy of award-winning credits to his name, including the recently opened Kinky Boots, Funny Girl, and Into the Woods, Moulin Rouge, Angels in America, and the perennial New York favorite, Book of Mormon. I mean, cast, the list goes on and on. And he also just so happens to be one of the most exciting voices and faces in fashion today. As an haute couture collector and patron, a model and muse, he is truly passionate about the art of fashion.
0: Yeah, and you may remember, Dress Listeners, we've been talking about Jordan's clothed expressions since 2019, and that was when he first came on our radar after wearing a custom Iris Van Herpen cape to that year's Met Gala. I mean, so spectacular and awe-inspiring was this moment, which we'll, of course, discuss today, that it still remains hands down one of my all-time favorite Met Gala red carpet fashion statements ever.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I mean... Jordan's embodiment and performance of this garment will forever live rent-free in my head, as will many other of his sartorial stylings, including his coat of many colors created in collaboration with textile artist and queer activist Michael Sylvan Robinson, who came on the show earlier this season. So definitely listen to that episode if you have not already.
1: For Jordan, fashion is about so much more than mere function or aesthetics. It's a performance art and a way of life. And one of the reasons we so appreciate him is that he is so seamlessly bridges the worlds of high fashion and theater. And he does so in a way that transcends the gender binary to remind us all of the true beauty of art and expression of dress. He calls himself the quote self-expression evangelist and has said quote the pinnacle of performance is really engaging with the truth which is how I understand fashion a daily performance of the truth of yourself. If as the saying goes all the world is a stage well then Jordan Roth is by far
0: its most fashionable performer and we are so pleased to welcome him to the show. Jordan, welcome to Dressed. I cannot tell you how excited I am to talk to you today.
2: I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you.
0: April and I are huge fans and admirers of what you do. You literally embody everything we stand for on Dressed, um, celebrating the joy and the beauty and the art of fashion. So I am so excited to talk to you and learn all about it today.
2: I I appreciate that so much. And I say right back at you, I just love Uh, I love what you all are doing and the joy with which you do it.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. So, I just kind of want to talk to you a little bit, maybe about your formative years and relationship with fashion. That's kind of one of the questions I ask a lot of people just because I think it's different for everyone. And it's fascinating to kind of learn about people's earliest relationship to dress and clothing. And I'm curious if you have an earliest memory in which you recognize the power or the magic of clothing, or maybe if there was a moment that sparked your initial interest in fashion as a form of self expression.
2: I always remember loving fashion and being captivated by beauty and beauty in clothing in particular. I have great memories of shopping with my mother and hours sitting in my grandmother's closet, who was a fabulous style aficionado and collector of all things and for myself and so i think you know so several of my dearest role models i always remember just sort of observing how they dressed and which isn't to say that i'm necessarily um emulating them but but just the fashion clothes were sort of part of the vocabulary of those seminal relationships for me and then for myself clothes were always a differentiator, I think. I often sort of created a uniform for myself. I remember I I started a new school in fifth grade and I self-styled a uniform of an Oxford shirt that was either blue or pink or white and a V-neck sweater vest. This was all very progressive for fifth grade. And sort of that was my look that year. And I think also, you know, Halloween was a national holiday for me. I guess it is a national holiday for everybody. But um, (laughs) what I mean to say is it was sort of the festival of festivals. And I think that's because Halloween is, is a day of permission. Right. It's when you are allowed to be what you want to be. You are allowed to be what you imagine yourself to be. And that is also, I think, why, I, why the theater was a place of refuge for me as a child, because that too is a place of permission. It is a place where you are allowed, you're given a pass, and your desires of self are not attributed to you which is a wonderful way to explore. But also, I think it's a bridge. It's a bridge. It's a bridge to try on the self without being blamed. Right. And I think ultimately the goal, the growth, the growing into ourselves, which is, I think, the work of our lives, is to offer ourselves that permission and also own it as ourselves, not as something we put on but hold at a distance, as in costume.
0: Yeah, and you're talking about, you know, the permission to be yourself beyond this day of of the allowance of pursuing fantasy, right?
2: Exactly correct.
0: Yeah. And when I look at you too, and I I think that there's a a level of courage to what you do, or or people might view it that way because you are, in so many ways, kind of pushing societal boundaries that tell you who you should be and who they want you to be. But in reality, we're all individuals. And the, you know, this kind of art of self self expression through dress has to be one of the most liberating things Uh, I think anyone can really go through because we're put in those boxes so often right I certainly don't express myself as much as I may want to but it's an ever-evolving journey and one that I know you've been on over the years because if you look at images of you and you like your earlier career and you're in suits and ties to where you are now it's very clear that you've had an evolving relationship with fashion and dress
2: it's been a journey as they say an overused word yes
0: but in, in your case, it's so very clearly um, visually manifested in your dress. So I would love if you could just talk about what fashion and the fashion self means to you and how that's kind of evolved over the years.
2: I really appreciate this question um, because it has been an evolution. And I'll tell you, you know, I look at those pictures too, not so much the suit pictures, which we'll talk about, but when I got back to my fashion self. You know, I look at some of those pictures now and I remember thinking, "Ooh, I'm really I am really out there. I am really pushing the boundaries. And now I look at it and I'm like, oh, God, that was <laughs> stayed and boring. Right. Um, but it's only because that's my view from where I sit now. Back to the uniform conversation, I started producing theater very young. Uh, Almost right out of college. And everybody who worked with me was older than me and had more experience than me. And I again self styled this uniform of authority. And it was a black, blue, or gray Prada suit, a white shirt untucked. And the untucked was my nod to I'm not a banker. And I had a buzz cut, short, short cropped hair. And that was my look for, it ended up being like 15 years. Wow. And it served me really well until it didn't. And when I started to bristle under its constraints, I don't think I was um, articulating yet what I was Feeling or what I was trying to kind of break loose from, break free from. But I think it also somewhat coincided with a feeling, a measure of professional confidence as I started to feel um, more secure in what I was doing and less, I think I felt less that I had to dress the part and more that. The part was me. And so, however, I dressed was the part. And that is a, that's also part of growing into ourselves. And so, I started to feel like it was okay to break free a bit. And first, it was even knowing that I was not feeling free, right? You have to sort of connect to first, what are the feelings of constraint in order to release yourself from them. I think many of us don't even know that we feel constrained because that does require a level of of deliberate sight. Right. And when I started to emerge from that, I had forgotten. I had forgotten that this was always how I expressed myself because it was so many years of not. And a, a friend sent me a picture of us from college. And I was decked. And I couldn't believe it. I, I looked at this picture and I was like, oh, 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 right. There I am. I had I had legit forgotten that this is who I've always been. And so I, I think I think discovery is always. Rediscovery. We're always coming back to ourselves, even the parts of ourselves that we've never expressed. But if we are really coming into ourselves, we are coming back to ourselves. And so the process of pushing boundaries, right? Imagery that that suggests an outward expansion is also simultaneously an inward return.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you for that reminder. And I've noticed something that's part of your journey of self-expression and fashion has been about gender fluidity and kind of moving past that gender binary in society. And that's so very, you know, encompassed in like women wear skirts and dresses and men wear trousers and flat shoes. And this is how it's always been. And correct me if I'm wrong, but when I first read articles about like your haute couture buying, for instance, it involved buying menswear. But then it feels like your style has developed a lot more into like gender fluidity because you wear these fabulous non-bifurcated garments now. Can you speak a little bit
2: to that? Yes, I can. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah. I cannot tell you the profound weight that I feel. Slipping off my body when I am no longer asking, caring, or interested in, who was this made for? What body type, what gender was this made for? Is no longer a question of meaning to me. The question is simply, do I have something to say to this piece and does it have something to say to me? I remember you started our conversation with early childhood um, experiences with fashion. I remember being in the local department store Seal Fonds in New Jersey, and there were signs sort of hanging of boys' department and girls' department, but the signs were kind of up in the air, and it was unclear where the line of delineation was and I was petrified to be in the wrong on the wrong rack and oh that's boys that's girls was the end of the discussion there was no but I like that and that's a that's a definition that sticks with us in the most pernicious ways and it doesn't serve us. It doesn't serve any of us. And it has been profoundly freeing and uh, nourishing and also just kind of relaxing, relaxing.
0: Like taking a deep breath and letting it out.
2: <laughs> yes, it is. It's like this giant <laughs> sigh. because. It is how it's supposed to be. It's just fabric sewn in different ways of creative expression and expressing the body in different ways and I am very aware i, I am a I am a body who is very sensitive to clothing and so how my body will respond physically to how a Garment is cut. And so, and it tells me very clearly how to move in it. And to be able to have that conversation with the full panoply of possibility is freeing. And my body, the way my body is built, and this has taken us, me and my body, many decades of. Of real struggle with one another to um, relax into finally. But mine is a body that is more conversant with clothes that are uh, originally intended for a female body. It is my waist in relation to my hips, it is how my legs move, the rhythms of my physical self. When I allowed myself to let my body be what it wants to be is when all of that started to drop away. And I stopped asking, who is this for? And I only asked, is this for me? And I'll tell you, I don't even have a sense anymore of like, I'm in a dress. I'm in a skirt in a way that would imply some sort of transgressive act. I'm just wearing what makes me feel beautiful. And it's not that the fact that it is a dress or a skirt is incidental. It's just no longer gendered to me. I no longer feel like I'm in... Women's clothes versus men's clothes. I'm in my clothes.
0: Right. And by doing that, you are giving others permission to do the same thing and to, and you're setting this incredible example for all of us because you're so generous with your Instagram, which you post to almost on the daily, and you take us all inside of this world with you, your theater world and your fashion world, which of course are one and the same. <laughs> um, but you're so generous with sharing that experience and that joy with us. And it's infectious. It reminds me, I know you're friends with Anna Cleveland. Her mom, Pat's been on the show a couple of times and Pat Cleveland's the same way. It's like this infectious joy that fashion brings to her life. And then she shares it with all of us. That's what you
2: do. Oh, I love that. And I just saw Anna in the um, Margiela show and she was literal physical divinity in a way that I have not experienced before. It was thrilling. Oh my gosh.
0: I'm so excited to talk to you about that.
2: Yeah. I so appreciate what you are sharing. and, And indeed, that is part of the joy for me because my experience with fashion is both a kind of visceral joy as well as a um, intellectual rigor. And so I put a lot of thought into why am I wearing this here and to this? What is it expressing of myself and expressing of the space between the way I am reacting to where I am, this event or this thing we are celebrating or honoring. And, you know, so much of fashion is iconography and reference and funneling those elements through an artistic vision. And that's what I'm doing. That's the joy of how I dress every day. Um, I mean, not quite every day. Sometimes it's you know just
0: <laughs> a t-shirt and blue jeans, <laughs> jeans and
2: jeans and babies and dogs, and I love it. Um, but what I'm sharing on on my Instagram is is that thought process because that is the thing too for me. Fashion is begins when we are conceiving what this look is and creating it and or styling it and then preparing in that day the the get the process of getting ready and then the wearing it which i take to be a performance performing the piece and i think you know the word performance gets a bad rap i think a lot of people uh, associate artifice with performance Um, I do not. I take the word performance to be an expression. And so when I am performing the piece, I'm expressing the piece. I'm expressing myself through the piece. And then the sort of post-experience, post as in after, not post as in to post, but both, is the kind of looking back on and explaining and thinking through and and in many cases, as I, as I write on my Instagram, um, I often will see references that perhaps were subconscious because they weren't in my original intent, but I see them coming through when I look at pictures. And I love that because we really are repositories of all the visual stimulus that we encounter. That is both a wonderful thing and a warning because you know we take it all with us, so we do have to be careful what we allow to come in.
0: Your relationship with fashion is multifaceted. You're a patron. You're a model. You're a muse, and you're an artist. And in most cases, you collaborate. I mean, maybe it's all cases um, with the designers and artists whose fashion art you embody and are central to creating. So there's your work with Zach Posen who does many of your like Broadway red carpet looks, Um, most recently Funny Girl and then, you know, there's of course the designers for your Met Gala looks, most recently this fabulous reconceptualized tuxedo with Tom Brown but also Michael Sylvan Robinson's Coat of Many Colors. They were just on the show um, earlier this year talking about that fabulous uh, collaboration and then Iris Van Herpen. Number one, Jordan Number one, hands down, best Met Gala look ever, ever. Ah,
2: I I am floored. I'm floored. Thank you.
0: Not as floored as I was when you walked on that red carpet. I mean, I think Ah. it was the most innovative and ingenious and poetic. I mean, my favorite ever. So I would love if you can talk about how you build these relationships with designers, but also artists, uh, because Michael is an artist, a textile artist, but not a quote unquote designer, and how you work with them to conceptualize and build these garments, because it's really a process you take very seriously and something you're deeply involved in.
2: It is. Um, first of all, thank you. That is the, just the highest of wonderful praise. And I will. I, I feel like I need to put that on a plaque immediately. So yes, so for for these big moments, it is my great joy to collaborate with remarkable artists and the piece that we end up with has emerged from the space between us. And that is part of what fashion is for me when we are talking about fashion at that scale. And there are, you know, there are very few canvases that you can paint on quite as large as the Met. And so it's an opportunity that I relish because we were talking about permission earlier. It is its own kind of permission. Because, you know, what's a thing that can be hurt that we can that we hurl at each other? You're too big. That's too big. Right? too much, too much, that's a cut down that, and you know, of course we're always dressing to our context. I often tend to go a little larger than context, which is sort of where I like to live. (laughs) Um, But what's so thrilling about the Met is it's very difficult to be too big for the Met. And so that's freeing because it's, it's a, it's an invitation to allow your imagination to really soar. And I think, you know, for me, the word fashion and the word art are interchangeable. And you can imagine many pieces of visual art, extraordinary canvases, magnificent sculpture of scale. And you can see the artist who is unfettered by concerns of scale, who has allowed themselves to really bust out and and take space and allow their creativity to determine where the bounds are rather than the bounds determining their creativity and i also love the themes because they give us they give us something to really dig into Intellectually, aesthetically, uh, and to be in conversation with. And part of what's so wonderful about the Met and the exhibitions that we are celebrating is they are all constructed around these contextualizing ideas. That's where they begin. They don't begin with pretty things and then you write a story to them. So with the camp exhibition, of course, that, you know, Andrew Bolton and team, who are so brilliant, began with the Susan Sontag Notes on Camp essay, which, of course, is a, a, a piece that I uh, have known well. And, and so then you, I go to that source material and read again. And that began a, a sort of clarity for me of mission statement for that piece which was I knew that I wanted the piece to be both about performance and a performance in itself. I also knew that I wanted the proscenium to be a central visual element and metaphor because the proscenium in the theater is the frame. It is basically a sign that says, look here. It has also become a kind of architectural centerpiece, but it has a performative function as well. And so that was, that's where we began. And um, Iris and I had just these thrilling, thrilling, moving, joyful Zoom calls, just like this, (laughs) Um, and then passing emails back and forth and sketches back and forth. And then she would actually send twalls and, you know, the, the shoulder caps she sent back and forth so that they could be sort of fitted on me. And she was, uh, and, and Petra who works with her were on FaceTime as, you know, we were fitting that piece, that part of it here. And then I finally, I went to uh, her studio in Amsterdam for the final fitting, which, P.S. has become my super viral TikTok of the moment that I tried it on for the first time and spread my arms and saw it and literally just... I
0: know, your face.
2: (laughs) I burst out laughing and then I burst out crying. I know. And... (sighs)
0: I mean that's how I that's how I was introduced to you because you came on that red carpet and it was like, okay, like stop everything. what ah. just happened here? <laughs> because it's like you know, it's a closed curtain and then it opens and it opens, which sound and the curtain opens and reveals the stage, which sounds almost like it sounds costumey and gimmicky when you just say it like this. but when you see it, dress listeners, if you have not already, it is the most magnificent, surprising, like magical embodied Experience ever so unexpected and so amazing, and then yes, so then I started researching you and following you and looking, and came across the video of of such joy and surprise. I mean, yeah, there's no other way to explain it. I guess people just have to look it up because I'm not doing it justice.
2: (laughs) Yeah, come come look it up. But um, but I, I do think there there's much to delve into because when the curtain opens what you would expect to see is a stage. What you saw was the audience. And so that renders you, the viewer, on stage. The back, when, the, when you look at it from the back, that's where you see the stage. So what we discovered together through the process of, of conceiving this was those many layers of meaning and rigor the, again, back to this signpost mission statement of the piece is about performance and a performance in itself. And so when you open the curtain and you see the audience such that you are, you, the viewer, are now on the stage, that renders you part of the performance. You become the performance. And I in embodying the proscenium and facilitating the performance of you. And those levels, which again, you don't have to get that when you see it, if you just open it up and you go, whoa, great. Now you're in. But where these big looks want to go for me is I want to be able to have meaningful conversation about the many layers that are part of it after you see it and it continues to hold us. It continues to reveal itself. And that's where one of the reasons why I think fashion is such a thrilling art form because it does allow for those possibilities of layers being revealed.
0: Absolutely. And there's, you know, you know, the debate about is fashion art is fashion art and there's so much conversation about it. And it's like not all fashions are fine, but there is pieces where it so clearly is art and embodied art and performed art in a way that like a painting on a wall will never be able to perform. But you get the same reactions as you would as if you're, say, standing, like if I'm standing in front of a Van Gogh for the first time, that experience... That awe and that magic that just draws you in and doesn't let you go. Like I'm still thinking about this garment that you wore for three years later and it stays with you. That is fashion as art. Again, because it's an embodied art form and because so many different hands go into creating it. It's really unique in so many ways. But I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. But
2: but it's meaningful to keep saying it because slippery. It's easy to lose. I often, as I was sharing so much of my uh, recent trip to Paris for couture, you know, lots of comments on the socials of, but is it wearable? Um, and certainly, you know, lots of comments on my uh, on on my recent Tom Brown piece of like, where can you wear that? And I think that is to miss the point. And exactly to your point of when fashion is art, you don't ask of a painting, but where can I hang that? Yeah. And if I, if I can't hang it anywhere, it's useless to me. And so I think what you're saying does bear repeating and repeating and repeating so that we're not missing the opportunity to experience great art, because it's right here. It's right here.
1: Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives, but what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries?
0: So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
1: Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone.
0: I want to talk to you about your collecting because you collect fashion as others collect art. And can you talk to us a little bit about what you look for when you collect fashion? And do you wear all your fashion or is there pieces that you archive away? Can you talk to us a little bit more about that experience and practice?
2: For me at this moment, and I could absolutely see this evolving, but for me at this moment, it's all things that I can will and want to wear. Many of the pieces are, you know, things that I will have in kind of my daily collection. Which, even if I don't wear it from year to year, you know, if it's like a sort of major piece that I'm not going to wear every other week, um, it still is kind of in my immediate sphere. And then there are other pieces, like all the major couture pieces that. I wear and then they go into uh, archival storage as part of my collection, but they're all pieces that I have worn or will wear because for me, I'm not collecting as, as commodity and I'm not collecting as, um, or and I'm not even collecting as preservation, though I think there are there are extraordinary collectors who are doing a great service to the art of fashion in collecting for preservation. Mine is to be, my, to be my wardrobe, to be the tools of my expression, the colors of my canvas. And I think, you know, most art collectors, I believe, will tell you that first buy what you love is the mantra, is the premise, and the rest takes care of itself. I was just with um, Alexander Fury who, in Paris, who was um, showing part of his archive collection, and you know he was describing that it began as a just profound passion for Galliano's work, and which became a collection, which then grew and grew and grew. Um, and so, you know, great collections of of anything begin with a passion for the work. In my case, it is a passion for performing the work, which is to say wearing the work.
0: And all of the hands that went into the artisans that ah. go into creating that, you know, it's like the designer is artist, but there's also these artisans who, you know, in many cases, these, these crafts and arts, art forms are hundreds of years, thousands of years old, and you're just seeing them at like the highest quality. And I can't even imagine, I mean, some designers are pretty generous with showing us like up close detail shots of, of the creation of some of these garments, but it's one thing to watch it on a screen. It's another thing entirely to touch it and then to actually be able to wear it. I can only imagine.
2: It is a fashion blessing. Yes.
0: And we are all, because most of us will never be able to get that experience. We're so grateful to people like you that we can kind of live vicariously through this experience. And you just got back from Paris Haute Couture Week, where you made your Couture Runway debut, I have to say. I did. Uh, (laughs) That was amazing.
2: And of course, a thrilling experience to walk for Yui Nakazato in my first Paris Couture show.
0: Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about that designer? Because um, our listeners will be aware, there's like kind of three categories within the Federation of Haute Couture. There's like the traditional members that are in France, and there's the collaborative members who are outside of France. And then there's guest members, which kind of allows you to get kind of more of a global purview of the art of fashion and dressmaking and bring it to this week as well. Can you talk a little bit more about that designer and kind of what inspired you to walk your first runway? Uh, couture runway, because you did walk for Tom Brown last fashion week in New York.
2: I sure did. That was and that was my first major runway. And it was it was the most thrilling, thrilling experience. And it was definitely jumping into the deep end with the shoe, the, the height of the shoes and the weight of the piece and the sort of unwieldiness of it. And it was I loved every second of it. I loved every second of it. And of course, it was the kind of opening to the Met weekend because the piece that I walked and my piece at the Met were developed as the same silhouette, though, of course, presented quite differently. And so my my weekend with Tom was um, extraordinary, just extraordinary. So Yuima's work, I first experienced on a shoot for As If magazine that will be coming out momentarily, and it was this magnificent multicolored movement, a piece of multicolored movement, and it just so gave extraordinary space to my body to live my best Martha Graham life, and that was my introduction to this work. And... It was amazing to experience this new collection from within it. I um, at our fittings, I, I I tried on lots of the pieces, and ultimately uh, walked the sort of shaman esque blue, ethereal, organic magnificence that I got the great joy of walking, and I I really love. I really love walking, walking runways because um, they are the kind of pinnacle of what we've been talking about of the performance. Maybe I shouldn't say pinnacle, but they are, they are a unique form of the performance of fashion. And I, I very much connect to them from my theatrical roots because there's something so in this moment that it is, The fashion show is one and done. It is previews opening night, the run and closing night, all in one kind of 15-minute explosion of yes. And I love the energy of that. I love the poetry of that. I love the traditions of that, the rituals, the rituals around the performance of the fashion show. I find it a deeply meaningful experience. So more to come. (laughs) Stay tuned.
0: Well, Jordan, fashion so clearly gives you joy. It also gives us joy um, just watching you. I mean, like I said, it's infectious. I have to say that the world is a better place because you are in it. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your fashion joy with us and, and love with us. I think you're really setting an example for so many of us and giving us all permission, right? To be ourselves and to explore what that means sartorially. So thank you so much for being here today. And just kind of in closing, I wonder if you have any advice for people who might be trepidatious in taking that leap to sartorial expression. As you said, so many of us might not even know the boxes that keep us from from exploring ourselves in that way. So do you have any advice Um, about kind of how to move into that space of being?
2: Well, first, I I just wanna thank you so much for what you've just said It is really meaningful to me. And I'm really grateful for how you see me and what I'm doing and how you help all of us understand and value and contextualize this form of expression. Um, As for advice, I don't know. I think we're all on the same path. We're just at different spots in it. And I think for me not waiting until I wasn't afraid is its own its own block, I think. I'm afraid and I do it anyway. And I think offering ourselves that grace to say I don't have to wait until I am fearless, because I may never be fearless. But that's not really the point, is it? The point is, can I live fully in myself with my fears, not despite them, but with them? And not that I need to wrestle with my fears, but perhaps we can just walk together. And maybe I'll walk next to my Fears and some monster Rick Owens heels.
0: (laughs) And we are so grateful that you do. (laughs) More, more, more. Thank you so much, Jordan. This has been truly wonderful.
2: Can't stop, won't stop.
0: (laughs) No one wants you to.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, my friend, this was a real joy. Thank you.
0: It was, thank you. Jordan, thank you so much
1: for taking us behind the scenes of your sartorial journey and sharing with us so much about what clothing means to you. Dress listeners, be sure and follow Jordan on Instagram at jordan__roth, R-O-T-H, where he so generously shares the daily happenings of his oat fashionable life.
0: Well, that does it for us today, dress listeners. May you consider yourself to be a performer in the world's theater of fashion next time you get dressed. For images and reels accompanying each week's episodes, please follow us on Instagram at dress underscore podcast. We love hearing from you. So if you'd like to email us, please do so at dress at iheartmedia.com. And as always, special thank you to our producers, Casey Pegram,
1: Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio that makes the show possible each and every week. <laughs> dress. The History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.